Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. All right, we're back with another episode of Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. Exciting things going on here today. We're going to talk about instrumentation. Yeah. Doesn't get any better than that, right? What, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to concentrate one last time for I check out for a vacation for a couple of days. Uh, that's right. Um, did you play any instruments growing yeah. up? Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, violin. Violin. That's yeah. it. I did. Trom- much. I did trombone for about two months. Yeah, my brother has the musical talent. I have no musical talent. Really? Well, I, how to say? I finally figured out after five or six years, I could pl- play the notes on the paper. But it kind of sounded like a you know a three year old banging on keys of a piano you know yeah I could hit the notes but it it just there was no art to it you know no you know feel no. I always wanted to be a piano guy like especially, a piano guy yeah especially like when you go like to a like dueling a, piano guy or just no, like a, like someone that could play the piano like, like classical like you know mm, the ones that are just in I'd, competition I'd rather go to like a hotel bar or something like that and there's a piano sitting there and there's just like lots of people around I sit down I start playing the piano like a real uh, Casanova I always envision that and then some girl, some in, girl a, in an evening the... dress <laughs> sit, an evening gown would be sitting on the yeah. piano with her, and then cross her legs and then I'd go home with her at the end of the night and happily ever after yeah, that would that'd be go. my plan so uh, Fred Redunzel Dave White with Quad City Safety uh, we're keeping the podcast thing on rolling. I think this is going to be, I'm not sure if it's going to air last or if it's going to air next to last, but I think this will be, uh, the end of season three here. So, so we'll be like 30 something of these. Into yeah. It. I think it was 10 and then the last two have been 11. So that should be 32 episodes in about a year. I think we started this about this time yeah. last year, maybe a little bit later than this. Yeah. So, a little bit later. Um, if you guys need any help or want to chat with us or anything quasitysafety.com uh reach out to us on any of our social media uh, applications that we're on um hit us up if you're manufacturing and then you're listening to this and you got a message that you want to get out there yeah. this is this is a kind of a community forum so you know people are going to get sick of us after a while so we would like to you know interject some new blood some new thoughts some yeah. new you know you know some different ways to look at stuff. Maybe you got a best practice that you'd like to talk about. I mean, that's that's what we're that's what we're here for. Even professional organization, if you know you're a ASSP, which used to be ASSE, or you're a national NSC, or you know you're a something. Yeah. Or you just want to show that you know a lot about something. We would love to have you on here to help us help people. Right. That's what this is. This is only only here to uh, help people think, rethink, or look from a different perspective at things. Yep. I'm just having a conversation, so we'd love for you guys to be a part of it. So today, uh, the kind of the plan here is to talk about uh, gas detection or instrumentation. I think we we touched on it a little bit in season one, but definitely something that there's still millions of things that are that are out there that I'm sure we haven't talked about. It's one of those topics that there's a wide range of things and the technologies are changing and all of that. So why don't we kind of start with uh, why you need a gas detector in a confined space? 
Well, it's not just confined space. It's it can be it can be confined space, or it's it's somewhere where we think there's a known level of something that we're not supposed to have. Okay. Or breathe. So when we sit there and talk about you know as we're stomping around the Earth, most of the Earth's concentration of the oxygen is twenty point eight percent by volume. So you know we're sitting here breathing oxygen. And it's pretty important to us. So the problem is, is anytime we interject something else, a lot of times we're displacing, we can displace oxygen or we can introduce something that our bodies don't know how to process or we can enter a situation where there's uh, a potential explosion because of, you know, a, a fume vapor as it relates to a potentially a volatile organic compound or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first thing we're kind of got to ask ourselves is, you know, what, what are we going into and what do we think might be there? Because some of the times we may need to do some upfront. We need, we may need to buy uh, some uh, detection tubes just to kind of figure out what the hell is there. But I think for the most part, what we're trying to concentrate on today is, you know, true construction or manufacturing confined spaces or things like, you know, we're going into a hole or a room or something that we're not normally in and we're not sure of the air quality. Okay. I think that's where we want to take it, right? Yep. Yeah, I I think definitely emphasizing on the uh, detection. So I guess. So when you, most of the time, you know, you know, the standard foregas is, a lot of what we do and again that's going is oxygen is there enough oxygen here to keep you you know from going face down um co carbon monoxide is there usually carbon monoxide is going to be there's an an engine or something that's producing something that's settling into a a hole Mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's created by combustion of something then we work into the LEL is so is there maybe like a gas leak that is leaking, you know, methane, pentane, you know, something with an ain in it that, you know, explodes if you get it in the right concentrations. And then final one is uh, hydrogen sulfide. So hydrogen sulfide occurs from uh, organic matter decomposing. So, you know, Theoretically, it's it's a it's a possum with a bunch of leaves on it that die you know down in there and creates you know theoretically hydrogen sulfide or you know you'll see H two S a lot of times anytime you're digging a hole you know that's why uh, if you go to a refinery or you know if you're at uh, where they're digging wells mm-hmm. well you have a high you know you're going into the ground so you can have decayed or De- decayed matter that's created the the H2S. Okay. What do you think is like when you're picking out what sensors or figuring out what sensors you're going to need for the monitor? What's kind of the process there? Well, again, it's figuring out what what are we trying what are we what do we think we need to detect? Okay. Um or it's erring on the side of some level of ignorance and I'm not really sure. You know, if you're going to be I'm not really sure guy Going with the forecast is not, you know, not an issue, but let's say that uh, we're just trying to make sure there's, you know, maybe not a, you know, 
a leak uh, in a gas line or something, right? it's going to be a completely different rig and setup. So you kind of you kind of really need to know what you think might be there. I mean, it's not no monitor. I say I'm not aware of a monitor really out there that'll go. This is every gas on the planet, and I know where it's bad for you, and I will beep when right. you get in it. No, 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 no. It's kind of um. I know that these are potential, and you you know if you don't know. You just pick up the phone. There's industrial hygienists out there that will help you figure it out. They can right. look at, you know, what you're mixing, what your processes are, help you dig through your MSDSs to see maybe if there's, you know, issues issues there. Uh, look at your spaces to kind of help you through that. But, again, you, you don't just – you, uh, you kind of got to know before you start picking what sensors you are. And then you start piling these sensors into it, and so you can have a one, you can have a single gas, you can have, you can have two, you can have three, you can have four, you can have six. Right. You can have PIDs that'll do more than that. So you know, photo ionization detector. So you say most of those, besides those four, the four sensors, like in a four gas monitor, usually the extra sensor if you need to go to a five or add a single gas detector would be like you probably are knowing. You're going to know that you have chlorine. Right. And you go, well, we have chlorine here. Except we work so, with fertilizer. So chlorine is going to settle in. You know, most most gases are kind of fairly heavy. Mm-hmm. So depending on which gas it is, it's going to kind of push itself down into the hole or fall into the hole because it's heavier. So, yeah, you typically, I, I always call those exotics. Maybe that's not the right, but, right. you know, you got your standard four gas and then your exotics. You know, it can be nitrous oxide. It can be... Like SO2 we run so, into a yeah, lot. sulfur dioxide, chlorine. There's all, you know, all your B words, your benzenes and all, all kinds of weird stuff that, you know, yeah. they're way out there. All right. So, yeah, it's it's kind of just making sure that you got your bases covered there with all the different sensors that you might need. And that's, that's where it doesn't hurt to talk to somebody. Yeah. Going to taking your four gas. And I know we have customers then that'll take, add a second monitor to it just because they want that just a single gas just to do when they're in those areas or they don't want to spend the money for a five gas. So they use their regular four gas that they use everywhere. And then they add a single gas. Here, here's a classic around. example is, you know, uh, there's some fill facilities out there now that, there are micro brews everywhere. Yeah. And these people are putting these large vats in and they're not paying attention to the fact that they're creating carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is made by a sugar being ate by yeast. It craps out alcohol and carbon dioxide is the chemical the chemical change that happens there. And this carbon dioxide is put out, you know, maybe, you know, me brewing in my basement with a five gallon bucket is a lot of different than a guy that has you know right. a couple a hundred pool. gallon drums you know or a hunt, you know rig over there running it and maybe you go i need to sense carbon dioxide at a certain level and i'm just going to put a fixed system in so i'm just going to mount a sensor right there that tells me crap we got a problem here so you know when you're talking instrumentation it's figuring out what gases you need to sniff then it's figuring out how I, what what kind of device do I need? Is it is it fixed? Do I need to 
uh, am I just wearing it on my body? So as I walk around, uh, I'm aware of something that may happen, you know, like the personal H2Ss can be a personal oxygen. It could be, it can be whatever. Okay. Or it can be, I need to get a remote sample. So I need to have a pump that pulls air from through a hose, runs it across the sensors and then, then measures from there. So maybe this kind of leads right into it, but <clears throat> talking about, uh, I guess, sample drawing versus diffusion type sensors. Mm -hmm. um, kind of want to explain the difference there. Well, diffusion is kind of like a smoke detector. Okay. So if I have a smoke detector and I don't have one near the kitchen, yeah. and I have it in the back bedroom, the whole house is going to be on fire before I know that there's smoke Yeah, because it takes, the smoke has to get it. But let's say that I'm in my bedroom and I'm going to measure what's going on in the kitchen, then that pump is going to pull air from closer that, you know, from there mm -hmm. to make me aware that, oh, wait a second, there's smoke. So, does, you know, how to say is it remote? Do I have to get it from somewhere where I'm not going to enter? Because a lot of times um, when people do confined space, I'm a big believer is any entrance should have a personal monitor. And then the attendant, the person on top of the hole, making sure that, you know, if they go down and we get them out, yeah. should be measuring air quality throughout the confined space. Because again, gases weigh different amounts. There can be different concentrations in different places. You know, and if we're not purging purging air then it you don't know how it's all going to settle out say like a diffusion monitor would be or a sensor would be <clears throat> they're the same sensors the only thing okay. is different is it's how it's getting is, to am the i sensor. just waiting for something to hit it yeah. or am i sucking it's it like wandering and, and drawing, into it or we're pulling and drawing it, it through it okay you no know, all the pump do, the pump doesn't do anything special other than kind of yeah Bring it in, put it where it needs and, to be, and check it out. Suck it in and push it across those the sensors. The diffusion's just sitting there waiting for. Okay, so you got to kind of figure out what your environment is on whether or not. Well, what am I measuring right here where I'm at right now, or do yeah. I need to go in somewhere where I need to know what's in there, what the concentrations are before I go down? I mean, you can take a diffusion, put it on a string, right, and and lower it, you know, lower it down there. But people have to think about the fact that. It, a diffusion takes a little while because right. it's got to kind of sit there like that smoke detector and wait for the smoke to get to it. It's yep. not actively pulling stuff into itself. Fair enough. All right. How about, uh, oh boy, classification for intrinsic safety? Intrinsically safe. I mean, you'll see those in mining. Okay. So what's different about it Like that makes it intrinsically safe when it comes to a monitor? Uh, Non-sparking. Okay. So sometimes the sensor technologies will have to be, you know, potentially a little different. Um, you know, in that anytime you're talking about intrinsically safe, there's no potential for an electrical arc within the device. Okay. So, you know, mines will have them, you know, it's usually a kind of a, the people that are going to need them are going to know that they need them. Okay. So, you know, intrinsically safe is, again, just trying to keep, just like an intrinsically safe flashlight. It's just trying to keep an arc from happening so that you don't all of a sudden turn your monitor on and blow everything up because yeah. there's a concentration of a, you know, a gas. Okay. 
And then I think some other things, these are mostly just things to look out for or consider when you're buying and when you're purchasing or looking for a new like monitor, I guess durability. Yeah. A lot of them have, whether it's different rubber, some of the less expensive ones might just be plastic. No, no actually, drop. a lot of times, if you, if you look at the literature, they'll kind of tout a drop test. Like, we've dropped this from X amount of feet. Okay. Um, you'll see the IP ratings on them. So the IP ratings is a, basically IP and a set of numbers, and that talks about, uh, can you take it out in the rain? Or can you not take it out in the rain? Or can you actually maybe submerge it for a second? You know, so it's how tight the housing is around it. So, yeah. you know, how it keeps dust particulates, moisture, you know, out of it. So, you know, from a durability, you have the drop rating, you have, you know, the IP rating of the device. Um, and then some of it gets into, you know, how to say you'll see some extra stuff that plugs into them it, and when i say that like if you got a pumped unit sometimes the wands may be chintzier than others you know the actual device so you really kind of got to look length probably what's that like the length of the wand because some of them I know yeah, shorter can be ones. longer shorter can be kind of how to say some of them the pump is in the wand some of them the pump is actually in the device right and so the pump and the wand, they was always kind of not a big fan. Um, it's like power source, like how quick, how long are you going to need to use it? I would imagine. Well, yeah, yeah, like... yeah. That's, that's huge is, you know, when you talk about powering them is, you know, you for a long time have always had rechargeable, but then it's kind of, you know, what kind of, is it nickel metal hydride, is it lithium ion, you know, Am I using a diffusion unit or using a pump unit? Because a pump unit requires more power to run the pump than just the diffusion unit. Right. Um, where am I charging it at? Because if I'm Joe contractor in the middle and, you know, I'm, I'm wandering around remote North Dakota and, you know, there's no plugs in trees to charge stuff. Yeah. Then you may need alkaline batteries, batteries so you can go get your EverReadies and, you know, change your batteries out of those. Um, it can get into sensor technologies are changing. Like there are infrared uh, LEL sensors because LEL sensors is one of the ones that basically eats a lot of your battery. So they've gone to an infrared, but the problem with an infrared sensors is there are volatile organic compounds that it doesn't, it won't recognize, or it'll kind of confuse itself with hydrogen or other other uh, gases. Okay. So when you talk about power, it's like, how long am I going to need to use this? How am I going to charge it? Because, you know, maybe you need extra batteries. Maybe uh, maybe you don't have yeah. a charging source, so you need to take you need to go with an alkaline pack. Yeah. I mean, so, you need to plan on having a, a pack or something like a battery pack thing. Well, yeah, you can have a or... charging station with a, you know, you know, again, and keeping in mind that everybody that says their battery lasts so long is a liar. Yeah. Because if they say, you know, it's going to, oh, yeah, you can run a shift on it. Yeah, you'll get six hours, you know. So if you're running your 10-hour shift, you're you're four hours short of completing your job. Yeah. And then you turn around and you go, well, we don't have a battery. Well, you don't just, you know, it's it's cooler and shit now that I can plug my phone in and it charge in right. 25 minutes or whatever. But uh, they haven't got those there yet. Right. It takes a little bit longer. Um, this is an important alarms. 
how it alarms. I mean, probably where you're at when the thing alarms. Are you going to be able to hear it? Do you need to be able to see it? Yeah, there's. Well, that's uh, that's a Do you perfect. Able to feel it. That's I a guess perfect that's case scenario. Uh, I was talking with somebody about it was it was a fixed system, but it was in an area where they were blasting, so it's louder than hell. Right. So who gives a shit that their hundred decibel alarm is going off? They can't hear it. Right. But if you can, a lot of fixed systems will have where you can output you know, a signal to just a, uh, just a light. Why am I going blank on what you would call that? You know, just a blinking light. Right. You know, so that you have a visual, hey, wait a second, something's going on here. Strobe is what I was going, you know, yeah. can output to a strobe so that all of a sudden there's there's a, a visual cue that there's something going on there. Some of them vibrate. They can vibrate. Yeah. Hell, hell, they got them that'll have uh, kind of like integrated pass technology so that if this guy's in the hole and he hasn't moved in, you know, 10 minutes, did he, is he dead? Is yeah. he laying down there and somebody needs to be aware of it away from him? So, you know, there's all kinds of little bells and whistles that, that they've integrated into these. They've integrated into Bluetooth bluetooth technology so like msa i can have my cell phone and you can have the device and you can go in the hole and i can sit there and monitor what's going on on my cell phone through the bluetooth connection okay isc has ones that'll you know you can pair them up you know with different devices yeah and if anybody's in trouble it lets everybody know what's in trouble and where okay so you know, from an alarm standpoint, we've come a lot, you know, it's not just the single, you know, the loud, obnoxious beep that anybody that's ever turned one on has quickly figured out where the, where, where the, where, where yeah. the speaker hole, you know, there's usually always a, and that's another thing is, is the speaker hole plugged up? Yeah. I mean, that was a whole, that's a whole different conversation. Right. Have you seen Reason those... to bump test and test monitors. Yeah. Have you seen those uh, alarm clocks? For some reason that popped into my head that like will run away. Yeah. That's <laughs> what my brother-in-law has to get one of those. He's one of those people that like, he used to be laying there, alarm clock two feet from his head is going off and you'll be in a different room and walk in there and be like, hey, dumbass, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what my wife was talking about needing to get him one of the ones that jumps off or someone that's a sleep guy that you just hit the sleep over and over and over again. One of those ones that jumps off, you actually get up and go chase it down to, to get it, so. One of those, I think one of the gals that came up with those was on Shark Tank, and she had oh, really? she had another product product that she yeah. Your kids sleepers? Or they, oh, they get up easy. Uh, I've got uh, one in the middle, one that gets up same time every morning, and one that would sleep till I mean two p.m. Yeah, yeah, if, it was if that you kid. Yeah, so yep. <laughs> I've got all shapes and sizes. Uh, some other things to consider. Um, in the package, kind of when you're buying these monitors, would be the added accessories. I know you talked about like a wand. There's filters. There's different, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. dust filters. Um, so, yeah, cases. Those sort of, you know. Do you want a pelican crate? Do you want to? I mean, a lot of times you're spending anywhere from, you know, four hundred to multiple thousands of dollars. So right. spending sixty bucks on a nice case to, you know, keep it in. Uh, 
keep it with its cow gas, you know. So yeah. you got all, you know, you're buying a system. Its charger is right there. You got yeah, everything yeah, yeah. together. Um, charging, you know, calibrations and charging stations is, I mean, yes, they are expensive, but people are, I mean, how to say, we're buying stuff on cars that we don't, we can stay in our own lane, but, you know, for an extra couple hundred bucks, it, you know, everything will jingle and alarms go off if you kind of get out of your lane. Well, that's, that's yeah. the same thing that we're talking here when you talk about, you know, some of the added, uh, you know, calibration stations is you're going to put it in there and it's going to go, oh, you haven't calibrated this thing in a month. Let's go ahead and calibrate it. Or it's going to put it in there and it's going to go. No, you failed a bump test. Don't use this. And here's what's wrong with it. Yeah, I was just talking to my grandmother on my wife's side, and she's talking about chain, trading in her old Subaru. Okay. Her, her Subaru that's like a 2014. It's got like 20,000 miles on it, and she rarely ever drives, and she wants to trade it in to get the new model because it's got that feature on it. She doesn't see too good out of her left eye. <laughs> <laughs> so she was telling me that she has to turn her head when she's changing lanes. Like, to go left, she's got to turn her whole head. So she wants to get the... The lane things that'll bump her what, back. What, she got a Forester? Or, uh, I think it's Outback. Back. Okay. So the new ones have this feature yeah. on I'm like, well, maybe it's time for you to stop driving because yeah. you can't see out of one eye. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose if I'm out there with her, I'd, I'd appreciate her having that thing that'll keep her in her own lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't completely can't see anything on the left-hand side of the car, <laughs> right. but I've got something that tells me if there's something there. <laughs> or if I'm about to just bump off into, into the... Oh, God. Anyways um warranty yeah there's another thing to think yeah, about there's some, some, yeah, some of these everybody's... have a year warranty some have two some are on the sensors some aren't on this yeah know, there's there's sensors. all kinds of things to you know when you're really making the investment is there can be trade-ins like go from brand x to brand y yeah you give them the boat anchor that you have and they'll you know take a little bit off um how many units are you buying yeah it can affect your pricing yeah, I, I think uh, just how the thing <laughs> operates. Is it easy to use? Yeah. I know that's one thing we started using. Is it in the... quote Bubba proof? Right. You know, I mean, some of them can have all kinds of, you know, settings, settings and, and crap on it. And then you can have ones that are literally like, one you can change buttons. the settings in it, but it only has one Bubba button where he kind of turns it on and turns it off. Yeah. So um, kind of what do you think, uh, or what do I got next for my question here? What's the point of instrument calibration and bump testing? What's the what? What's the point of calibrating and bump testing? Like, I guess maybe we can talk a little bit more about the differences. Um, so the difference there is, if I took a, if I, if I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a handgun, and I took the handgun and I were to hand it. Well, Fred, you don't know anything. You're scared of the NRA, but <laughs> so I've got this handgun, and in I I politely hand it to you. What are what's the first thing that you're gonna do? Hold it up, look at it. You should see if it's hot. You should see if yeah. if it's if it has, uh, you know, if it's loaded and ready to uh, rock and roll. Right. So kind of think about you know. I mean, that's a thought process to go with. Another thought process is uh, in your home, you have a smoke detector. So you can either be one of those assholes that waits for it to, to chirp. And, and then you're always trying to figure out which one it is because you're like, I can, I can hear it. Right. But 
I can't walk towards it because it's so, you know, it's kind of an ominous tone or whatever. Or you can walk up every six months, hit the red button, and it goes, yeah, my ba- my battery's good. You know, so it's the same thing as that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's literally when you're bump testing, you're going, you're getting ready to go into an environment that you don't understand if the quality of air is good to maintain you as a human being. So the first thing that you should do is try to make sure, is this thing ready? Right. You know, so when you're bump testing, all you're doing is you're throwing throwing gas across sensors and just making sure it goes, yeah, I know what that is. Yep, I know what that is. Yeah, I know what that is. And so calibration is kind of bump on steroids because what it does then is, again, you're going toward, you're going against a, known value of concentration of gas but couple that with the fact that let's say that uh we're trying to measure that 20 by 20.8 and you know in that bottle you have 20.8 and all of a sudden you're calling it and again calibrations are not exact methods or not exact measures i think too often people get caught up in the fact that when we have a monitor, we are measuring to specific 100%. If it says 300 parts per million, it's 300 parts per million. Right. And the fact of the matter is, no, 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 no. There's a lot of room for error because if we're calibrating it or if we're buying gas, if you look at it, it's always plus or minus, you know, mo- most of them are always going to be plus or minus 10%. So if the alarm goes off, and you're supposed to be measuring 300 parts per million, it's somewhere between 270 and 330. Right. It's, not, it's, not a, you know, it's not an exact reading measurement. But the calibration, what, it, it, what it's intention to do is try to get it back to where it should be. So okay. if, it's, if you've had what's called, it can be called sensor drift. So if the sensor is drifted or the, how, it, how it senses stuff is drifted, you're just trying to bring that back into line at plus or minus 10% of what that allowable is. Okay. Cool. Anything else you want to touch on, on a kind of what to look out for in a gas monitor? I think, I think we about covered it. Uh, from a, you know, again, the one thing that I'll tell people is it doesn't hurt to look at multiple brands is, you know, because what may work for somebody may not work for somebody else. So kind of looking out there and having that, that, you know, that what I want to do with it, because everybody always wants to walk in there and buy something. Right. And this is one where you really got to do a little bit of homework to go, you know, uh, I know I need a foregas, so I go buy a foregas. And then I didn't think about the fact that, well, we got this one area where we have chlorine. And now we have a monitor that's a foregas that doesn't have the ability to span to, you know, to that exotic. Right. And you have a boat anchor. You, know. you, you go out and you start using it when there's chlorine. And you're like, why is this not picking up this? Yeah, yeah. Like, we just didn't buy the right thing. So I would say service would be another thing. Yeah, like, having having a us, right. somebody that, you know, if it's not us, don't buy this shit off of Amazon because you're not going to be happy. Right. Because Something goes wrong. You're going to turn it fix it for you. you know, yeah. Um, we're going to be able to get you sensors. You know, again... Yeah, everybody says a warranty, but how many good experiences 
I have had directly with a manufacturer of me buying something from a Menards and yeah. trying to file a, file a warranty on something. It's like, well, we'll ship you another one out in six to ten weeks. Yeah. And a lot of times it does show up, but that's not good enough. Right. I mean, I know that, you know, if we have, if we're fixing or working on somebody's monitor, we'll, you, we'll sometimes give them a loaner device to go. When you go on the hole tomorrow, we don't want you to die. We care enough about you. <laughs> right. to, we care enough about you to give you something to get you by. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on here to uh, this week's Dumbass of the Week. It's the Dumbass of the Week. And this guy... Calls I, calls all the time. I've, I've seen him quite a bit. Why is my monitor failing? Okay, why is the cow gas not working? It's not reading what I got on. Okay, question number one for me always is, when's that bottle expire? And this guy's expired in 2009. I've actually been to this person within the last couple of years that I picked up their bottle of gas and it expired in 2009. Yeah. So this stuff expires. The cow, Your cow gas will expire and it's probably not going to be year one it's probably not going to be uh month one it's not like it expires well, june different gases june different gases are i mean you can get up to 18 months on some gas but some gases like chlorine which are very caustic yeah uh six months and after six months the problem that it is is it's chlorine gas yeah in in the bottle so you put it in the bottle, and it's eating the metal inside the bottle. So it's changing the chemistry of what right. is in that environment. I mean, there's some people that are coming out now with some new bottle technologies that are, are better for like your like your standard four gas met uh, your standard four gas bottle. It's H2S. H2S is wreaks havoc on the inside of the bottle and makes makes the mixture unstable over time because it's okay. it's making it. It's doing its own chemical reaction. So, um, you know, like you said, 2009, every now and then people have something that will pass, but it's right. literally like, what do you really pass? Yeah. You, there's no... Well, what are we measuring against? What there's are we an measuring exact against? formula inside that bottle well, again, that's keeping it's, you safe. We're trying to get to plus or minus 10% of the value. The bottle can be another plus or minus 10%. Right. On a good bottle. On a good bottle. Yeah. So all of a sudden we have a bad bottle, a bad old. cow, you know, and maybe it calibrates. But again, how close are you? What's really there? Right. Yeah, that that is the, this. it still works. Like you'll hear that yeah. too. It's like, oh, this no, this one still works. Well, is it really working for what you need it, yeah. what you need it to be doing? So that is something. Don't be a dumbass. If your cow gas is expired, buy a new one. If it's a month, past the expiration date and you have one coming, I would say you probably can feel comfortable to you use are, it. You are buying it's probably worse than it was six months ago. You're buying a device right. that you're saying, tell me how many parts per million are in a known volume of, of air. Yeah. That's a no-brainer to me. I would sit there and I'd go, that's pretty specific. Right. That's like me trying to put my... my uh, my my shitty minivan up against a NASCAR, you know, um, there's no comparison into the technology that's going in one. And a monitor is a very fine-tuned machine, so yeah. it's going to require, we're not talking about a smoke detector that just goes, smoke! We're talking about something that is measuring parts per million. And 
That's a lot. Yeah, sure. Lots of zeros. All right, let's talk about a couple questions that we had that came through the email box this last week. So number one, we've had some particulate injuries in our facility. Would it be best to go to a foam lined glass or a rubber lined glass? Uh, again, it depends on, you know, what, how often, because, you know, some of the, the, the gl glasses that are more sealed with the rubber going to be high concentration of particulate or potential splash hazards where, where we may have, you know, uh, liquids or stuff that may, may splash up. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, you know, foam line, the problem with foam line is that you have all these face types. And so everybody goes, yeah, we had an eye injury with particulate and we go out and we buy uh, a glass. And then we have different ethnic, ethnic people in the workplace that have different face types. We have males versus females. We have, I'm a fat guy, so I got a fat head. So all of a sudden what fits me doesn't do anything for the little, you know, tray with his little pea head, right. you know, it doesn't get the same amount of protection. So that's, that's kind of the problem with some of the, the foam is you have to have a lot of different styles to fit the face types where ones that are more of a goggle style, right. uh, usually you have a better seal there. Well, if you can look at comfort might be, might be another factor in there, but so you really got to look at your, it's glasses or something that like, and same with the earplugs, like they don't fit two people the same way. So you might no, no, need no, no, multiple no. options for, for multiple people. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah. I mean, even hearing protection, you should have yeah. at least three styles just for different, you know, narrow ear canals or versus people that have beer, big ear canals. All right. Let's see if this question reads right, because if not, I can explain because I actually talked to the person. So some manufacturers are making harnesses that extend as much as three sizes and they're less expensive, or you've always bought more expensive individually sized harnesses. Is there any downside to having like a super adjustable harness? Yes. What do you think? I think so. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, positioning a dorsal D's, uh, you know, how much, uh, like I've seen somebody try to pile into a, a harness that's too big for them. Right. And then they have tongue buckle leg straps and they have all this shit hanging off of, you yeah. know what I'm saying? They have, you know, belts hanging off the side of them that they're trying to get into uh, keepers and stuff right. like that. So I, I, you know, is it bad? Well, no, not really because they're both really, I mean, if you can get into them and get them adjusted right, they're tested to the same standard. Right. But again, when it gets into comfort as well as, you know, off the rack, what fits best. I mean, I'm a big guy. I have to go to the, the big guy store to buy shirts. Otherwise, if I go to the regular guy store, I end up with shirts that fit regular guys. You got that bottom gut thing. Yeah. Hangs just, out. It's a bad look. Oh, yeah. Terrible look. <laughs> Probably big pet peeve. <laughs> that and carpenter crack. They're two just, I, not a fan. Yeah. Um. All right, last one I had. Do I need to use special absorbents around forklifts? Yes. Okay. And the reason being is it's anytime you have, you know, uh, something that you're picking up that's got a weird pH on it. So it can either be very basic or it can be very alkaline. So not equal to seven on the pH scale. So you know, if we're talking acids and bases, you need to neutralize whatever that is. And in the case of a forklift, forklift batteries have an 
you know, they're very acidic or there's an acid in it. <clears throat> so getting control of the acid before you pick it up. And there's some sorbents where I think it's the stuff's impregnated into it. But for the most part, you're going to want to calm that thing down a little bit before you try to pick it up. Okay. Yeah, you can go in there with sort of, I mean, <clears throat> you can go in there and pick it right up, throw the sorbents on there. And, and problem with it is most of them are, you know, uh, polypropylene. They're just a plastic. So it may start eating your, your sorbents and then how you, how you, how you dispose of it becomes even more issues too, versus calming it down so that you can pick it up and dispose of it correctly. Cool. All right. So last week I, I took a drive. I did a, a trade show that was in Norfolk, Nebraska. It was the Nebraska power and equipment show. So I was dealing around with some like electrical co-ops. But anyways, do you know where Norfolk, Nebraska is? And actually they call it Norfolk and it's spelled Norfolk. Well, it's Norfolk. There's a place in Kentucky that's referred to as Norfolk and it's Norfolk. It's how it's spelled too? Yeah. Yeah, I said it used to be North Fork. And so they when they adapted or when it came over it became Norfolk. That's just because people in Kentucky just mispronounce everything. Well, that was Nebraska, so I don't know. But anyways, so all the hotels were booked in Norfolk, Norfolk. Oh, you were telling me about this. Then. Yep, and so <laughs> I, I had to go about 45 minutes away in Columbus. And so it's just been a while since I've been in a town where, like, there's not much around. And to go to another hotel, you got to go 45 minutes away. So so is that north or south of 80? Uh, which, what do you mean? Is was Norfolk? They're both north of 80. Okay. Yep. So you come in through Omaha, you head a little bit north. It's almost heading back towards my old neck of the woods. Okay. But um, <clears throat> let me. I grew up in a small town. I know you grew up in a smaller town. Mm-hmm. So talking a little bit about things to do while you're there in a small town. Hang so, out on the square. Square. Usually there's a bowling alley. Yeah, typically there's a bowling alley. Yeah, it might be a little um, old, not greased lanes. Yeah, but... in in some uh, dry counties, it may be finding you know a fraternal order of the moose. Okay. You know, so you can find a, you can uh, pitch washers. Okay. Washers and horseshoes was something that was always fun and fun and cool. <laughs> fun, fun and cool. Yeah. See, at least the town I grew up was like twenty five minute, like twenty minutes from like a larger place. See, there's places to go, but like out here in this place, there's it was like a Clinton almost was like, that's about as, as big yeah. as it was. But so yeah, a bar, there's probably, there's always a bar. There's yeah. always a restaurant where you can go holler at old girl. <laughs> yeah. Casey's pizza. Case, Casey's, yeah. <laughs> Usually there was always one kind of, you know, gas station. Or Tip whatever. some cows. Yeah. Um, uh, hardware store. Okay. Usually, I mean, like, DQ there's, or there's some usually sort of something, cream. some kind of, you know, fringe, whether it's a McDonald's or a DQ, and you walk in there and you're like, why is everybody 80 in here? <laughs> and they're drinking all the, it's like, why don't you, how do you make money with them here? Because they they all want a senior discount on a small coffee. <laughs> right. And want to drink a picture of it. <laughs> so, yeah. It was a it was a trip being back in the small. I had Apple. There was an Applebee's. So at this place well, that's a ho- pretty big town. If you the, had an Applebee's, the place where my hotel was it had an Applebee's. I don't know if the place where I was. Did you get all you can show. eat riblet basket or whatever. No, I mean I'm trying to watch my girlish figure. So I got a is a chicken chicken breast and I'm supposed to have some shrimp. They forgot my shrimp. <laughs> you know, I was too tired to go back and I got some green beans and uh, yeah. So they probably had been tadpoles anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, so I think that's it for us today. 
Um, once again, this is going to wrap up season three, so we'll take a little break after this one, and then we'll be back. Uh, hopefully with a little switch up the format a little bit hopefully have some guests here in the next season so um please share this with the new guy on your crew if there's somebody that has safety responsibilities whether it's your hr person or uh, somebody that's a maintenance person let them know about the podcast too because i think there's some people out there that have safety responsibilities that we wouldn't traditionally think are safety people and we've also tried to tag all the episodes with what they're about so you don't have to listen to every episode but right. if, if you're getting ready to enter a topic or you all have something that you're working through yeah like just we're throw using this gas on detection the... we don't know shit about gas detection maybe we'll just throw that episode on while i'm driving in today yep. and, and, and kind of you know get yourself ready for what you're trying to do yep so but in the meantime definitely reach out to us quadcitysafety.com uh, reach out on our LinkedIn page, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page. You can go to I'm we have a friend. Twitter page. We have a Twitter page, yeah, at Quad City. I thought Safety. they called it Twitter handle. I know this is a tw- Twitter page. Yeah, okay. your Twitter handle would be like at Dave White BBW. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So uh, reach out. To, I'm Fred at Quad City Safety. He's Dave at QuadCitySafety.com. So if you want to send us an email direct, we'd we'd love to hear from you. So. Once again, until next time, safety has no quitting time. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at QuadCitySafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.